The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. I had an email yesterday from our previous deacon, Annette Rankin, who is now serving up in Portland at actually Robert Bryant's parish, St. John the Baptist. And she wrote and she said, do all rectors hand off Trinity Sunday sermons to somebody else? Because she had been handed the task for today. And the other thing that I thought you all would enjoy is she said, I still haven't gotten used to spelling Savior without a U. And I told her, good, that way you will never forget us. Never forget us. It's fun watching social media in the lead-up to Trinity Sunday as colleagues kvetch and struggle with getting ready to preach about the Trinity. But the best one-liner this year comes from one of my brothers, Brother Tobias Holler, who said, uh, the next time you hear somebody say, I've got a great new analogy for the Trinity. Even before you hear it, the best answer is, no, you don't. No, you don't. So I'm not going to give you an analogy for the Trinity today. Rather, what I would like to do is talk about an analogy for what life in the Trinity is like. What life in the Trinity is like. Today's readings have one of the longest selections that we get on any Sunday, that beautiful passage about creation from Genesis, and then one of the shortest readings we get on any Sunday, the conclusion to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, in which if you look closely at those few words, you hear all that you need to know about the Trinity summed up. Life in the Trinity. It's what some of the earliest theologians of the church were disclosing as they wrote in the fourth century, I think particularly of one named Gregory of Nazianzus, who is still relied upon today even by modern theologians when it comes to talking about the Trinity. And he's not so interested in all of the ins and outs of obscure Greek words and ancient philosophical principles as he is with what it means for us that we have a God who at God's heart is fundamentally a fellowship, a fellowship, a community, a place where diversity is brought together and made one. It dawned on me as I was sitting at nowhere other than the symphony on Friday night what this life might be about. 
I had the privilege of hearing for the first time Stravinsky's Rite of Spring performed live. And as we came out of intermission and they got ready for that, I watched the orchestra assemble on the stage at Davies Symphony Hall, and they filled the stage because it formed what one of my early teachers called the Stravinsky machine, which is this vast body of instruments, brass upon brass, wind upon wind, a whole host of strings, and then percussion out the wazoo. In fact, I think they even used that in the performance of the Rite of Spring. And it was captivating, and as I sat there and thought about the history that every music student in the world now learns about the generation of that score and how it came about, I thought, this is it. This is, this is something that I could preach on. This is it, because the Rite of Spring began as a germ of an idea when Stravinsky, in the early part of the 20th century, got together with a buddy of his, Diaghilev, who was a ballet director, and they decided to collaborate on a new work. Diaghilev would provide the choreography and the ballet, and Stravinsky would provide the music. And they agreed that they were going to go back to pagan roots, and Stravinsky would mime the depths of old Russian folk tunes. And so in 1911, during the winter, he holed himself up and began to put together notebooks of ideas. But you know, that wasn't the music. That wasn't the music. It was just ideas forming on a page that wasn't the rite of spring. And then he began to do interesting things, like take snippets of this and snippets of that, and began to layer them up and do interesting things with rhythm and put them together in a larger, more formal score. And it's a little bit reminiscent of those bishops in the fourth century getting together to duke it out and to formulate a creed for the church a point of departure for everything else that would follow, cobbling together a few words that would mean something for generations of Christians to come. But that wasn't the rite of spring either. That wasn't the music. And then they started to get together and collaborate some more, and Diaghilev started to choreograph to the score and began to rehearse with the musicians and the ballet dancers to prepare for the premiere performance in Paris. But that wasn't the Rite of Spring either. Not yet. Not yet. It was only the prelude, the point of departure, the beginning, but not the whole thing. It wasn't the Rite of Spring until opening night when all those musicians got together and all of those ballet dancers got together and that first audience in Paris got together. And the music, as it began, was so shocking, so raw, so unnerving, and the dance steps of the dancers were so primitive, so primeval, that the audience almost began to riot. 
And in the middle of that din, you could barely hear the score. So Stravinsky had to sneak backstage and listen so he could get close enough to hear what was going on. That was the Rite of Spring. That was the real thing with the people gathered, audience, musicians, dancers, and a reaction beginning to form. It was only then that you heard what it really was and you knew what it really was and you lived what the Rite of Spring really was. And in that seminal moment, Western art music would never be the same again. So that the, to this day, if you have a music history book and you open it up, it's not a music history book until you've read something about the Rite of Spring and what it meant. And if you've never heard the work, go listen to it, but you have heard it. You've heard the score to Star Wars, right? If you've heard the score to Star Wars, you've heard the influence of the Rite of Spring. That's what life in the Trinity is like for us as Christians. For years, we in the church have wrestled with the Nicene Creed, and I've wrestled with some of you over the Nicene Creed. Should we keep it in our liturgy? What does it really mean? Why doesn't it have things about Jesus' teachings? I would tell you the problem we have with the Nicene Creed is not the creed itself, but the way we understand it. We want it to be complete. We want it to be the thing. When in fact, that was never how it was intended. It's a little bit like looking through the wrong end of the telescope to try to see the sky. It doesn't work. It's a little bit like taking out a music score and saying, this is the music. No. All the score is, all the creed is, is a point of departure. So to pull up a Stravinsky on you, I'll layer another analogy on top of all of that. The creed is a little bit like the gate at the airport, making sure you get on the right plane. But it's not the plane itself, and it certainly is not the destination. It's to get us in the right door, into our seats, getting ready for the great adventure with God in Christ and the Spirit. Life in the Trinity, Gregory of Nazianzus disclosed all of those years ago, leaning on Paul, and even the words of Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew is about being together with God in that fellowship, in that place of love, in that great dance that is God's life. God's life that began all of creation in that beautiful myth from Genesis that we hear. God's movement to restore us to that life in Jesus. God's breath that continues to bring life in the spirit. That constant life that is always with us and that we are called to and that we recapitulate every time we gather as we are now. Sometimes if we're lucky, when we're listening to somebody preach, but more often than not, when we gather together in prayer and in sacrament, 
and in love with one another. That is what the Trinity is all about. That is the destination. Life with each other in God. And so our mission as people who follow this faith, this Trinitarian faith and all of its mystery and strangeness, are then called to look out into the world and see those who are not yet pulled into fellowship, the marginalized, the forgotten, the poor, and to draw them in. That is our calling in the Trinity, as the Trinity has drawn us in to that life. It's not about ideas so much, although they can help or hinder. It's not so much about the sketchbook of notes, although they're fun to study and talk about. It's not so much about the theology, although sometimes that makes sure that we get to the right gate at the airport. It is about this life, here and now, together, as we gather for liturgy, just as those folks gathered for the liturgy of the Dipsy today downtown, just as we gather week over week and our brothers and sisters gather around the world. That is what the Trinity, I would say, is about. Just like the music was only real when the musicians were gathered, the audience was hushed, and the conductor came out on stage to give the downbeat. So my one-liner for the Trinity that I just want to leave you with this year, and if you forget everything I said, just remember this one thing. I don't think God is as interested as we are in things like heresy and orthodoxy. Maybe God is interested in calling us into the music to become part of the dance to bind our lives to that life that is God's. And in that place, to offer that life to others. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.